1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays
2: at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with the Federal Reserve pausing its historic hiking cycle, at least for now, in the face of falling inflation and a tightening labor market. But it's the outlook catching many investors by surprise. And one of those investors, the always outspoken Jeffrey Gunlock, telling CNBC that not only is the stock market existing, uh, exhibiting signs of a mania, but the Fed is making the same mistake it did more than a year ago, just in reverse this time. And while the Fed is signaling more tightening ahead, China's going the other way. After a string of disappointing data overnight, we are live in Beijing with the latest. Plus, a possible port deal that's on the table right now to get U.S. West Coast goods and uh, flowing once again. And then later, the corporate charm offensive continues in China. Bill Gates gets ready for takeoff. It is Thursday, June the 15th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check of U.S. stock futures. Look at the futures right now, just slightly lower across the board. Of course, this all after a mixed session on Wall Street, the saw the Dow end sharply lower, snapping a six day win streak after Jay Powell's press conference yesterday and the first rate hike pause in 15 months. Chairman Powell signaling the pause was not a sign of a near term policy pivot.
1: Nearly all committee participants expect that it will be appropriate to raise interest rates somewhat further by the end of the year. As anyone can see, not a single person on the committee wrote down a rate cut this year, nor do I think it is uh, at all likely to be appropriate if you think about it.
2: And the Dow may be coming off of a whipsaw session, but that's not the case for the S&P and the Nasdaq. The former extending its longest daily win streak since November of 2021. And the Nasdaq on pace for its longest weekly win streak since March of 2019. But right here, you see the brief dip yesterday before the close after that Fed decision. All right. So while investors to the Fed's rate hiking outlook, it could be described kind of as mixed. One investor is not mincing his words. That's double lines. Jeffrey Gunlock, telling CNBC yesterday the Fed got it all wrong. The reverse
3: mistake that they made uh, about a year and a half ago, a year and a quarter ago, where they were too slow to raise rates because they're looking at lagging data. Employment is lagging data. We already see some signs of weakness developing in the employment market.
2: And Gunlock adding current market conditions with the AI craze and the massive concentration at the top are far from healthy and are quote, exhibiting signs of a mania. So after all that, let's check the bond market right now. Looking at bond yields, they're just actually about the same as they were yesterday, at least when it comes to the benchmark 10-year, 3.81, very close to what we saw yesterday. A bit of a rise here when it comes to the two-year at 4.72. We'll continue to talk about bonds later on the show, and we got to check crypto very quickly. Future rate hikes putting a a bit of a scare in Bitcoin and Ether. They're down sharply this morning. We're seeing Bitcoin down 4%, basically, Ether down more than 5.5%. All right, that was the setup for the U.S. day ahead. Let's see how Europe and Asia are digesting the very latest from Jay Powell and company are Jemana is standing by in our London newsroom with more. Jamana, good morning.
4: Morning, Frank. Well, you talked about bonds. We're also seeing quite a big move in bond yields in Europe today with bond yields up five to six basis points. And that's having an impact on some of these European markets. You can see that we are dipping knock-on effect from some of the uh, price action that we had in the U.S. yesterday, a focus on the Fed decision. But of course, today, European investors are watching out for the ECB decision. A 25 basis point hike is expected. The FTSE 100 dipping about six basis points, seeing a pullback in some basic resources stocks. Zetra and Kakarant are also down about three-tenths of a percent and half a percent, respectively, autos dragging down those indices. As for Asian markets, this was the handover overnight from some of the key markets there. Nikkei, which has for so long been such a strong point, has actually pulled back a bit, about five basis points. But all of the attention has been on the Hang Seng, up 2.1 percent, and the Shanghai Composite in China, up seven-tenths of a percent. This after a raft of weak data was met by a PBOC rate cut decision, uh, cutting their medium-term uh, Rates, which has signaled a positive effect for some of these markets, the Hang Seng obviously benefiting the most. Though we're still sitting shy of twenty thousand, moving in the right direction as some of the cyclical names, some of those tech names, get a bit of a boost out of the PBOC decision overnight. Frank.
2: All right, Jemana, thank you very much. Jemana Brusetti live in our London newsroom. Well, the Fed's not the only game in town when it comes to central bank policy decisions this week. In fact, we're bracing for another big call just about three hours from now. The European Central Bank, however. Is not expected to follow J. Powell's lead. Annette Weisbach joins me now from inside the ECB in Frankfurt. Annette, good to see you. What are we expecting at 8 15?
5: Yeah, it's exactly what we're expecting. 25 basis point rate hike and, of course, perhaps also some language that we're closer to the end of the rate hiking cycle. But given what the Fed has said, given their outlook that there's a potential of raising rates further after the summer break, this actually could happen here in the euro area as well, because inflation is still sitting very high at 6.1 percent for the month of May. So far too high when it comes to the target of the ECB, which is close to 2 percent or at least 2%. So, um, having said that, also the ECB only has one mandate and that's inflation and they are very happy to sacrifice the economic development in the euro area for reaching that goal. Having said that, the euro area is already in a recession and a technical one and also the outlook doesn't seem to be great because the service sector is really um, suffering from those high inflation rates and that could even get much worse over the summer period according to some analysts. They Expecting that the holiday season we see, will see even a higher pickup in prices here in the euro area. And the manufacturing space is actually down on the outlook for the global economy.
2: All right, Annetta, thank you very much. Live there at the ECB. So if the Fed and the ECB, if they're all about hawkish tones, the People's Bank of China, it's the exact opposite. Cutting key interest rates overnight after yet another string of disappointing consumer and industrial data. That's painting a gloomy picture of its economic recovery. Our Eunice Yoon joins me now from Beijing. Eunice, good morning.
6: Hey, Frank, well, there's a lot of pessimism over here because of these numbers. Uh, the May data are disappointed on so many fronts in terms of retail sales, which, of course, has been a hope that Chinese consumers were going to uh, come back in force after the reopening. Uh, the numbers were up by 12.7 percent, but missed expectations. Industrial output, the factory sector, not letting it, not getting a lot of relief there because of the uh, slowdown in global demand for Chinese products, FAI fixed asset investment also uh, disappointing. The property sector, which is a traditional driver uh, for the economy here, also saw very disappointing numbers. Investment was down by 7.2 percent. Sales by floor area, new construction starts, funds raised by the developers, all of it looking slower than it was in April. But, uh, Frank, the most disappointing and somewhat shocking data point that came out of the May set is the youth unemployment figure, which hit another record at 20.8% for May. And this, as you could imagine, uh, prompted the policymakers here to appear to, they're leaning more and more towards stimulus. Uh, Today, you just mentioned the the, uh, rate cut. That was a one-year medium lending rate. This comes after they cut a short-term lending rate. So all of it's kind of pointing in the direction of more stimulus.
2: Well, stats you're pointing to Eunice. Obviously, some, some questions about the economic recovery, some concerns there. Is there any expectation of more easing next week?
6: Yeah, actually, there is, uh, because there's a loan prime rate that is uh, decided upon by the central bank um, every single month on the 20th. Uh, Everyone's expecting that to go down by 10 basis points, along with uh, what we saw today, as well as uh, earlier this week. And then there's a lot of discussion about when will the authorities here decide to uh, cut the triple R, which is uh, basically the amount of cash on hands that bank, the banks are required to have? Um, another point that people are, looking, are talking a lot about is, is when the long-term lending rate is going to be cut as well. The big question, though, is whether or not any of this is going to have much of an effect, because uh, the, in China, interest rates don't necessarily uh, have the same reaction. Uh, among uh, businesses as they do in the United States. People make decisions not on the interest rates all the time. I mean, they do somewhat, but it's also for other reasons. And uh, one of them is just that there isn't a whole lot of optimism here, especially in the private sector. And uh, there are many industries that have been pummeled by regulation. So people are feeling very, very nervous and hence are not spending and the economy just looks as though it's stalling.
2: All right, I know it's something you're watching very closely. I also want to ask you about a couple other things. There are scheduled to be a number of very notable visits to Beijing over the next few days, namely U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and then reportedly Microsoft founder Bill Gates. What do we know about each of those visits?
6: Well, in terms of uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken's visit, uh, both sides have confirmed that he will be here um, on June 18th and 19th. So that's next uh, Sunday and Monday. Uh, The hope is that his, um, at least from the U.S. perspective, is that they're going to uh, push the idea that the two sides need to have open lines of communication. Uh, The um, the other hope, of course, from investors is that this is going to move the relationship between the U.S. and China past the, um, the alleged spy balloon incident and try to get the relationship Uh, back on track so that perhaps other U.S. officials will be able to visit and then uh, maybe the relationship will be a little bit more functional. In terms of um, his schedule, he might be visiting uh, uh, President Xi Jinping in addition to the foreign minister. And uh, as for Bill Gates, uh, there's a lot of discussion that he also might be meeting President Xi Jinping, which would be a huge deal because no other foreign executive, when they've come here after the reopening, has um, had a face-to-face with Xi Jinping. Uh, he's while he's here in, in Beijing, he's already had a, um, a, 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 a he's already attended an event um, that was based on health, so more on his uh, philanthropic work as opposed to anything Microsoft-related.
2: All right, Lakono, it sounds like you're going to have a very busy week, Eunice. Thank you very much. Great to see you as always. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, why Jim Cramer says big money managers <clears throat> excuse me, are scrambling after yesterday's Fed decision, plus breaking down the banking risk after Powell's, Powell's hawkish pause, and what it could mean for a sector that's already under stress. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns.
7: These big money managers, and they're on air all day, this is why I'm addressing this, they, who believe that the tightings are almost over, now realize that they were just wrong. And they need to reposition as fast as they can, meaning they need to do a mass amount of selling practically all at once in a number of stocks that made sense to buy only if they were right about rates, which is that they were going to go lower. That's what started
2: today. And I think that kind of confused thinking is going to have to play out over a couple of days. All right. That was our Jim Kramer last night on Mad Money, who believes despite the resiliency shown in stocks yesterday, following the Fed's hawkish pause, there could be more selling ahead. He continues to see a narrowing market dominated by the seven or eight top performing tech stocks that have led the way so far this year. Let's get more insight now with Janet Moy, head of market analysis at RBC Bruin Dolphin. Janet, it's great to have you here.
0: Thanks, Frank, for having me.
2: All right, so do you agree with our Jim Kramer that we could be facing a sell-off after that very hawkish pause with the the specter of two more hikes coming up?
0: Yeah, I do think so. I uh, I mean, we are currently underweight across uh, regions in equities. We have a small underweight um, because, first of all, we are concerned about the economic situation. The fact that the Fed may have two more rate hikes just raises the probability of a recession later on. Um, so we are cautious of that. And also, we are going to face more tightening in liquidity, right? Um, so there's still QT going on. And uh, I mean, there has been a spike in the Fed balance sheet when svb fell, but you know, that is normalizing. So we're going to face some more liquidity headwinds going forward. And, and the narrow leadership in the uh, S&P 500 rally is also a bit of a concern. Uh, it's very hard to keep that sustaining. So I think, uh, yeah, there is likely to be okay. a pullback in the market at some point.
2: You know, you're one of many kind of looking at the Fed's balance sheet. I want to ask you, everything we're seeing from the Fed and hearing from the Fed, how does that shape your thoughts about bonds? Are you still looking at bonds for opportunities? Yields are still elevated. We were touching on it earlier today. And are you in favor of short-term bonds or long-term bonds?
0: Yeah, so um, we have been looking for opportunity to add to Treasury uh, bonds, actually, but we felt that the timing is not there yet. I think yesterday's decision uh, further reaffirms that because uh, usually bond yields tend to peak uh, just before the Fed eventually pauses, uh, stop hiking. So maybe we haven't reached that point exactly. So we'll be continuing looking for that opportunity to enter uh, U.S. Treasuries. Um, for now, if rates were to stay higher for longer, I think in the short term, I think staying in short duration bonds makes sense. You get a pretty good yield, taking okay. very little duration risk. But going forward, I think um, if there's more evidence that the economy is, is going to weaken and if the Fed eventually pauses, then I think it will be a good time to enter uh long duration to lock in those yields and to expect a uh, price increase when bonds okay. eventually fall.
2: All right. So you, you want to see how things play out a bit. So right now we're kind yeah. of in the buildup to the July meeting. So what do you think investors should pay more attention to? The so-called dot plot signaling two more hikes? Or this comment from Jay Powell, he said it pretty clearly, the conditions that we need to see in place to get inflation down are coming into place. So to me, that seemed a bit dovish as well.
0: I think, yeah, I think that left uh, investors are a bit confused yesterday, to be honest. Uh, there, there are some contrasting things that, that is in the press release and also in the Uh, statement and the doc law. So I think so far, I think we should just take the Fed's face value because it has been doing what it has been guiding so far in this rate hiking cycle. So I wouldn't try to fight the Fed at this stage. Um, I, I think equally that the Fed is not very clear on what it may do. But I think more committee are likely to stay hawkish because we just don't know how inflation will end. There is Well, I think there is a high probability inflation will keep slowing. But as long as the labor market is tight, inflation could stay high or even reaccelerate. So I think the Fed would just take the cautious stance and keep the rate hike options open.
2: Yeah, uh, we're looking right now to chart 70 percent of traders pricing in a hike at the next meeting. Something we have to wait for. Janet Moy, it's great to see you. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the IPO market starting to show some new signs of life, this time with some fast, casual Mediterranean food in mind. We're going to explain after the break. Life
7: is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Met Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
8: of a detour.
2: All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Equity and opportunity and focus for the NFL during the offseason. The NFL is doing a deal with black and minority-owned banks that will boost their lending power by millions. The deal announced today is for a $78 million loan with a syndicate of 16 black and minority banks and community development financial institutions from all around the country, many in cities with NFL teams. The loan will create tier one capital for the banks and CDFIs and gives them Ten dollars of lending power for every dollar earned through interest and other fees. It's going to total millions. The NFL consulted with Bank of America and the National Black Bank Foundation. Co-founder Ashley Bell says the loan provides capital and proof black and minority banks can handle big deals.
9: That the NFL understands that these banks are centers of hope around the country. Uh, whether they're on Martin Luther King Jr. Drive or Main Street, these are the places people go to get opportunity. And by supporting these institutions, they're
7: supporting these communities.
2: The full terms of the loan were not disclosed, but the NFL says it was done at market rate. Executive Vice President of Finance, Joe Clair says the NFL continues to look for ways to work with black and minority vendors, suppliers, and service providers in addition to this deal.
1: In finance, we looked at this as a great opportunity to connect with banks that play a vital role in our overall economy. These banks are really working at the grassroots level and serving communities that otherwise would be underserved.
2: For more on this story, you can go to CNBC.com. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. What the Fed's hawkish pause could mean for tech and the small basket of stocks responsible for most of the year-to-date rally. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. And there is still time to sign up for today's virtual financial advisor summit, getting key advice from top advisors, investors, market experts, and economists. Just scan the QR code on your screen or visit CNBCEvents.com to sign up. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in just a moment. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Hit in the pause button. The Fed pumps the brakes on its historic rate hiking cycle. We dig into what elevated rates will mean for key sectors within the markets. Double lines, Jeffrey Gunlock not holding back on the central bank's decision. His new warning on the potential damage coming for the markets over the Fed's inflation battle plan. And a potential deal to end the ongoing labor standoff at more than two dozen ports along the, along the West Coast to get the supply chain rolling once again. It is Thursday, June the 15th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a bit of a mixed session yesterday, they saw the Dow end sharply lower, while the S&P and the Nasdaq, they continue to march towards their longest win streak in months. Looking at futures right now, you see they are red across the board, all three indices down fractionally at this hour. So this after the Fed opted to hit the pause button on its historic rate hiking cycle yesterday while telling investors that tightening is far from over.
1: Nearly all committee participants expect that it will be appropriate to raise interest rates somewhat further by the end of the year. You can see not a single person on the committee wrote down a rate cut this year, nor do I think it is uh, at all likely to be appropriate if you think about it.
2: All right, hawkish tone from Jay Powell there. But the Fed's not the only game in town, as investors are also expecting a rate decision from the ECB at 8.15 a.m. Eastern time today. Lagarde and Company not expected to follow the Fed's lead, instead likely to hike its key rate by 25 basis points. Ahead of that, looking at the European markets this morning, we're seeing the DAX down almost a half a percent, the French CAC down more than a half a percent, the FTSE flat, and we're seeing uh, the Italy FTSE and the Spain IBEX, both of them down this morning. So on the flip side, the People's Bank of China facing a very different problem in the face of a very uneven economic recovery, citing a key lending rate overnight and signaling likely there's more easing to come. And taking a look at Asian markets, also a bit of a mixed picture. The Hang Seng up 2 percent. However, the Nikkei basically flat right now. And we're seeing the Shanghai Composite up three quarters of a percent. Outside of the Fed, let's get a check on the morning's top corporate stories. Our Sylvana Hanau is here with those. Sylvana.
10: Hey, Frank, good morning to you All both sides and those ongoing contract talks involving West Coast port workers reaching a tentative deal. Acting Secretary of Labor Julie Sue and the Pacific Maritime Association announcing the agreement on a new six year contract covering workers at all 29 ports late last night and exact terms of the deal have not been released. The workers unions had been seeking a bigger share of record profits from when cargo shipments surged during the pandemic. Shares of Cava are set to make their public debut. And today, after pricing its IPO at $22 per share, that's above its expected range at that price. The fast casual restaurant chain is valued at just under $2.5 billion. Shares will trade on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol C-A-V-A. And Citigroup's chief financial officer is warning that trading revenue for the bank is down 20 percent so far this quarter. Speaking at a conference, Mark Mason says the congressional debt ceiling drama weighed on client activity for a large chunk of this period. Mason adding that Citi's decision to cut 1,600 jobs during the second quarter will cause expenses for the bank to climb by as much as $400 million for the current period compared with the first three months of the year, Frank.
2: All right. Certainly something to watch. Silvana. thank you very much. All right. Investors, they are still digesting the Fed's latest monetary policy decision when the potential ripple effects of its first pause following 10 straight increases. When it comes to changes in interest rates, not all sectors are created equal, with some areas of the market considered to be more sensitive compared to other areas. While industrials and consumer staples, they often outperform in a higher rate environment. Sectors like real estate, they typically cool down. So what does the Fed's latest decision mean for the markets and for your money? We've got three sector experts here to break it all the way down. Piper Sandler's Stephen Scouton is here. He's going to talk financials. Newberger Berman's Daniel Flax is covering technology and Mizuho's Anthony Crodell is weighing in on utilities this morning. Stephen, let's start with you and the broader impact of what you heard yesterday on financials.
9: Yeah. Good morning, Frank. I, you know, I think for the near term, this puts incremental pressure on on financials, on banks in particular. Um, I think most of the companies we've been speaking to, were are hoping for more commentary around a pause as opposed to this, you know, what sounds largely like a skip here, um, at least into July. So what we've heard over the last week is that most banks feel NII and NIM estimates from from the street are a little too high, that deposit pressure has continued to increase in the in the past few weeks, while deposit balances have stabilized. That pressure on the cost has continued to escalate. So, I think if, if this is truly a skip, that increases that uh, dynamic and could put incremental pressure even on um, estimates for the sector into the back half of the year. Even before we get to uh, you know the potential right. for a recession,
2: so you say there's potential for pressure. But I'm, when I'm looking at the KRE, it's actually month to date. At least it's doubled the market so far. So is that just as simply bouncing off the lows, or have investors decided to rethink how they see the re- the regional banking sector?
9: I definitely think it's been a recovery trade, bouncing off those lows. I mean, we're still waiting for the generalist investors to come back into the to the group and and kind of see what that catalyst is. I, you know, the hardest part is trying to disprove the negative around potential credit issues. Whether that be Siri, Office, et cetera, but I think that the move we've seen so far has largely just been a, a recovery bounce.
2: All right, let's talk about the commercial real estate sector. We're talking a lot of talk about billions of dollars in commercial real estate debt that's about to hit the market. How do you see that impacting these regional banks?
9: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a massive overhang. I mean, we really, we don't know what we don't know in terms of how weak this could, could become. You know, that being said, we, we do believe that a lot of the, the risk is outside of the banking sector today. We think that the dynamics in the market today are are drastically different than they were heading into the great financial crisis you know one of the numbers we looked at recently over 60% of the office CRE that's on banks balance sheet does not mature until 2027 or later so it's a headwind it's an issue there will be losses no doubt um but it's not this you know cliff where everything's going to reprice and re-rate to an 8% yield You know, this year it will happen over time and and hopefully we get some relief as we move
2: on. So a lot of times these stocks, at least in recent weeks, they've been trading on sentiment and a lot of social media traders on Reddit, discord, etc. They've been actually influencing these stocks along with short selling. Um, In addition to that, how does the pause, how does this hawkish pause or not, how does that impact the actual fundamentals of these banks?
9: Yeah. I mean, the biggest issue on fundamentals for the banks is just, is just what it does to net interest margins, what it does to NII. So profitability is likely to be slightly weaker in the near term. If, if we could get a pause, even if it is higher for longer, banks will make more money as, as asset yields repriced, but we, we just need time for that to catch up. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we've been saying for a while. We just need more time. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's a drastic difference if we're talking about one or two more hikes. But we, we do need to reach that pause at a minimum and hopefully get, you know, a couple of cuts in 24 as we get stability. But but what the Fed is telling us is that the economy is actually stronger um, than we had anticipated. So it's not all bad. It just is a is a near term um, headwind to, to be sure.
2: All right. Stephen Skelton, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Turning out of tech and well, tech stocks, high interest rates, they typically do not get along the sector has been on a tear so far this year with optimism over ai front and center that's something double lines jeffrey gunlock is taking issue with and offering this warning to investors on cnbc yesterday
3: if you want to talk about the stock market i think you've got to divide it into sectors you've got the s&p 7 which is the mania craze regarding anything if you say ai your stock goes up 20% uh, and then you've got the s&p 493 which have gotten a little bit of tailwind lately, but as of a few weeks ago, were basically unchanged year to date. So the stock market, frankly, is exhibiting signs of a mania where you have a very concentrated part of the market that is driving the entire train.
2: All right, let's now ask Daniel Flax, Newberger Berman's senior research analyst. Daniel, do you agree with that theory there from Jeffrey Gunlock?
1: Good morning, Frank. Great to be with you as always. Uh, My focus is on the innovation and the growth. And sure, you are seeing. A handful of companies drive a significant amount of their performance. But I think if you step back and, and look at what's going on, these companies, if you look at Google as an example, they've been spending tens of billions uh, annually on uh, R&D and capital expenditure. And that's really driving the growth. Uh, the core search business is healthy. YouTube, I think, has attractive growth prospects and the Google Cloud is underappreciated. And so, yes, there, there are a handful, but it's driven by innovation and ultimately growth.
2: All right. So so you're saying it's not just that mania that he's looking at. There's actually more to it. There's more to these businesses. So we've been really focusing on mega cap tech. Like he said, those seven or eight names. But in general, how does this hawkish pause? How does that impact the broader sector of tech? I'm talking payments, um, fintech, medical tech. There's just so
1: much more out there. I think if we step back and, and and think about the the overall interest rate uh, environment, sure we may get another few hikes. I think what's what's most important uh, across the sectors that you mentioned is that sure there are cyclical headwinds that they are facing, but but those companies, those subsegments that you reference. Ultimately, each one of those uh, companies inside is going to have to grow. So if you look at uh, medical tech, uh, you look at a company like Boston Scientific, which which we think is well positioned uh, as as you continue to get uh, more patients coming in for procedures that can help their business is one example. So one really has to look under the covers, as it were, at each one of these. But we see where we see innovation and growth. uh, we, We see opportunity. All right. So
2: there's certainly a lot of excitement, whether you call it a mania or not. So can you give us maybe an under the radar pick? If there's anything under the radar left when it comes to this big rally we've seen in tech so far this
1: year. Sure. One name we continue to like is is a company called Motorola Solutions, ticker MSI. This is a leader in public safety and you have you have a a leadership team uh, led by CEO Greg Brown, who have really transformed this company, uh, expanded from their core business in, in walkie talkies, uh, mission-critical solutions for first responders into newer areas like video and analytics. Uh, many 911 centers in the United States can't receive text or video as one example. So we see higher growth at Motorola Solutions, expanding uh, margins, and, and a lot of uh, interesting opportunities over the next uh, one to two years. So we continue to like that name. All right.
2: So that's under the radar. Let's get back to the main topic, those seven or eight names. If you're an investor right now, would you stay in those names or is maybe now time to profit take, knowing that there's a very good chance there's two more hikes
1: coming up? Frank, I I would stay in many of them. We try to be selective. So, for example, we continue to like Amazon, despite uh, even with the recent strength their their uh, e-commerce business, I think, is going to rebound. You'll see an improvement in efficiency and Amazon Web Services, while facing cyclical pressures, should do better later this year and into next year. Microsoft is another name we like driven by the health of the Azure platform, and I'll round it out with Apple, which is continuing to execute well on its product cycles, even in the face of a difficult economy. It's, again, about the innovation and the growth. All
2: right, Daniel Flax, thank you very much. Great to see you. All right, now let's thank head over you. to utilities, which outperformed during last year's bear market as investors took shelter in dividend-paying gas and electric stocks. The sector often sees inflows as a defensive play when there are fears of economic turmoil, Now with new concerns over earnings resiliency, the sector, it's lagged year to date. Let's dive deeper into what's ahead with Anthony Crodell, research analyst at Mizuho. Anthony, good morning.
7: Hey, good morning, Frank. The sector really, you know, as you brought up, it hasn't had the time to, I guess, highlight its defensive attributes. No one's really, especially the two previous guests, no one's really calling for a meltdown in the economy or a hard landing, I guess what everyone's saying. And so in the utility sector that could grow about 6% EPS, paying 35 you know, to 4% coupon, a 10% total return. In periods of uncertainty like last year, we outperformed the market by 18%. So far, year to date, I think we've underperformed the S&P by 21%. So it doesn't seem like people are that fearful. And we're a very sensitive, interest rate-sensitive sector. Although our earnings are intact, there's no change in our company's earnings. They earn off what we call rate base or their investment. Okay. That's not changing. It's just that there's not many investors looking for utility stocks right
2: now. So you're hitting on a few different things. Uh, The underperformance is a thing that we're really highlighting. So what's having a bigger impact on this sector? Is it the interest rates or is it also the competition from bonds? Now, you mentioned the overall return when it comes to utilities. But right now, bonds are very competitive with the dividends that this sector pays.
7: No, absolutely. I mean, if you could invest across the cap structure, you could hold a utility hold co-bond, probably paying – 5%, 5%, whereas you could own the uh, stock that's going to pay a yield of about 3.5%, 3.6%. So across the cap structure, I think you're better off with the bonds, but you get no growth in it. You know, we're growing at 6% earnings growth. So for, you know, investors that need to own the equity, the utilities are still attractive on the earnings portion, but what's weighing down is just if the Fed's going to keep raising rates, these stocks are going to keep going lower. And I think the sector will continue to underperform until we get, you know, clarity on that. The Fed has done raising rates.
2: Let's talk a little bit longer term. A lot of these companies in this sector, they're actually some of the leaders when we're talking about that transition into green energy. So as we continue to see rate hikes and the possibility of two more, how does that impact their CapEx plans to generate solar energy, wind energy, et cetera?
7: So yeah, so if you think about utilities earn and utilities grow by spending more and adding to what we call rate base, they get to earn a, on an equity portion, a return on the equity portion. So the more you spend, the more your earnings will grow. And a lot of the spending in the last couple of years has been on the transition away from fossil fuels into renewable. That's going to continue regardless of the interest rate cycle. Also, what helped out was last year the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, and that's going to continue to help utilities find affordable, renewable investment. That won't change, and that investment's continuing. I just would say the pivot, maybe two years ago, the the focus, three years ago, the focus was on ESG and going green, energy transition. But I think since the invasion of the Ukraine, the the conversation has pivoted more towards energy security. So we are still doing renewables. We are still investing heavily in renewables. But I think the focus of state regulators has been on energy security and fuel diversity. So you're starting to see some companies, some states, endorsing maybe adding a natural gas-fired plant that adds some dispatchable generation to help out the broad mix of fuel.
2: So can you give us a top pick in this space? Because utilities, we don't generally talk about them that much on CNBC. Give us some insight to one that you would invest in or advise someone to invest in today in today's current environment.
7: Absolutely. So for us, what we look for is a steady, resilient earnings growth story with balanced regulation coupled with a strong balance sheet those three things we think will outperform the market or outperform the other utilities i should say the two top ideas are michigan which has a very balanced regulatory jurisdiction it's dte detroit edison and cms michigan regulation has historically been very balanced the management teams are very focused on growing 7% 7% earnings growth every year, and then also you couple that with their very strong balance sheet that they can weather a cycle of higher commodity prices or if a storm hits their balance sheet. So with CMS and BT would be our top two ideas, and we think investors could invest, sleep at night, and still grow earnings 7%. All right,
2: Anthony Crodell, thank you very much. Great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide thank Exchange, a you. Thursday morning call sheet and a check on this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks you likely own. Much more when Worldwide Exchange returns. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. Goldman Sachs downgrading Diageo's reading from buy to neutral. It cites a prolonged normalization in the U.S. spirits market, a key driver for the company, and a limited positive catalyst for this stock. Shares down fractionally this morning. Different story for Domino's Pizza, with Stiefel upgrading its rating from a hold to a buy. It's also raising its price target from $320 to $350. Stiefel citing expectations Domino's will stabilize delivery sales and continue growing carryout sales to a new record level in the next year. And Oppenheimer is downgrading SoFi Technologies' rating to perform from outperform. The firm saying the move is purely on valuation, with SoFi stock more than doubling so far this year compared to the S&P's nearly 14% gain. Looking at shares of SoFi this morning, down more than 5.5%. All right, coming up, the one word every investor needs to know today, plus gunlock versus the Fed. The new warning from the double line CEO on why more rate hikes from the central bank could spell big trouble for the markets. But first, June is Pride Month and CNBC is celebrating all month long and sharing stories of corporate leaders with you. As we head to break, here is Google's head of brand accessibility, K.R. Luke.
8: My advice is to tap into the power and uniqueness of your identity. That is the undeniable essence of you and will in fact help fuel your
6: career growth.
8: Early in my career, I hid who I was at work, a queer disabled woman in tech. It wasn't until I started bringing all aspects of who I was into the work I did that I truly started to hit my stride. Don't shy away from bringing your whole self to work. Stand confidently in who you are and incorporating it into how you approach work
0: will propel you to greater heights.
2: Live shots from around the world this morning. We're looking at London, Hong Kong, New York and Washington, D.C. on this Thursday after the Fed decision. All right. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap up. These are six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with the People's Bank of China cutting key interest rates after yet another string of disappointing consumer and industrial data. The PBOC made a similar move back in August. Reuters reporting Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates will meet with China's president Xi Jinping tomorrow. This would mark the first meeting between Xi and a foreign CEO in recent years. Siemens announcing it will invest more than $2 billion to ramp up global production. The German engineering and technology group saying it's making that move as it gears up to meet increased demand triggered by global stimulus packages. And shares of health insurers looking to bounce back today after getting slammed in yesterday's session. Those stocks facing steep selling after United Health Group revealed its costs were on the rise due to an increase in surgeries among older adults. United, it accounted for 200 negative Dow points yesterday. And shares of Tesla facing fresh pressure ahead of the open. After snapping its record-setting 13 days of gains yesterday, the EV maker tacking on more than $200 billion to its value during that run. And Petco partnering with hip-hop artist-turned-entrepreneur Snoop Dogg for a new pet care campaign featuring Petco picks by Snoop, which includes toys, treats, and grooming supplies. All right, getting ready for the trading day ahead. We get quarterly results this morning, or later today, I should say, from Adobe, Kroger, and Jabil. The big week of central bank policy decision continues at 8.15 a.m. Eastern with the European Central Bank's decision. Several pieces of economic data out at 8.30, including weekly initial jobless claims, retail sales, Empire State Manufacturing, and Philly Fed Manufacturing figures. We also get industrial production numbers, so a lot to watch there. All right, those weekly jobless claim figures, however, being seen as the most important data point of the week by our next guest, Stephanie Link. She's the chief investment strategist at Hightower and a CNBC contributor. Stephanie, it's always great to see you.
8: Good morning, Frank.
2: So you're looking at those jobless claims. With that in mind, what's your WEX word of the day?
8: Yeah, it's jobs, absolutely. I actually think that uh, the initial claims numbers today, it's the actual most important data point, I think, because last week was such a surprise to the upside at 261,000 initial claims. So people are looking for 250,000 today. And I never really put too much emphasis in one week's worth of numbers, but the numbers have been gradually increasing up about 10% off the lows. So want to keep an eye on this because this has been the one part of the economy that has been resilient, which has helped the consumer, which has helped higher wages. So we, uh, we're we going to pay a, a lot of attention today to the these numbers.
2: All right, so you're paying attention. Is that going to give you some insight into the markets or maybe the Fed's decision? What's the What's the insight that you're going to get from it?
8: Yeah, well, number one, uh, what's happening with the labor market is it's starting to inflect higher. And as I mentioned, because the consumer has been very strong, uh, the consumer is 70% of the economy, and we want jobs to remain uh, plentiful. And they have been. Um, And even if if the number comes in higher uh, than the 250,000, even if it came in again at 260, it's still a very tight market. But we look for changes on the margin, Frank, as you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, if the Number is higher and we start to see this trend we have to start to think about how that's going to impact the consumer overall
2: All right, so Stephanie I want to bounce something off of you yesterday Double Line Capital CEO Jeffrey Gunlock speaking with CNBC he offered a warning over the Fed's plans for two more rate hikes this year and what he calls it signs of mania within the markets
3: it leads to a, a, a valuation which is pretty scary with an inverted yield curve and the Fed raising interest rates or saying they're going to raise them further. The S&P 500 is a PE of 19 on a forward earnings basis. And if, we're, if the economy weakens or goes into recession, those forward earnings are greatly exaggerated.
2: All right. So, Stephanie, he's looking at some of the things you're looking at, just basically what direction we're going in with the market and some of the other macro factors outside of this huge run up. So do you agree with him? Is the S&P overvalued? Do we have some real concerns about a big sell off coming up?
8: Well, I I think yesterday the Fed, quite hawkish, much more so than we expected. Um, And when you look at some of the data points that we've been getting as of late, meaning inflation, we've actually seen it going in the right direction. The CPI headline at 4 percent, that's down from 9.1 percent peak. PPI at 1.1 percent, that's down from 11.7 percent at peak. So we're making the progress. Unfortunately for the Fed, they're saying it's still too high. In fact, Powell focused on the PCE we know that number came in at four point nine percent the last reading they 're expecting going forward it to be at three point five they wanted it at two so they are kind of sa- staying stubbornly focused on this inflation uh, the, the inflation numbers. And yet they're not realizing that it's come down substantially and that we are going to actually slow down overall in the economy. So it was really a bit of a surprise. I don't know if it's doom and gloom, Frank, for the the markets, because believe it or not, earnings have actually stayed pretty strong and better than expected. Uh, And that is because the economy as a whole has been pretty good. Uh, uh, The Atlanta Fed GDP now is looking at Two point two percent growth. So I know we're going to slow because of all of these hikes, but we have stayed really strong, and that yeah, brings point. me back to the consumer because the consumer has stayed resilient. That's why we're going to watch these jobs, the the, the the job numbers and the initial claims numbers right, today.
2: Stephanie Link, bringing it full circle. So I want to get to your picks right now. One of them's in the healthcare sector. We saw a big sell-off because of U.N.H. yesterday, but you're bullish on a H.C.A. healthcare ticker, H.C.A.
8: Yes, well, higher utilization rates will help hospitals, right? And so that's a big positive. I also really like their M&A strategy. They're increasing their urgent care business. They made an acquisition just a couple of weeks ago, increasing their urgent care business by 15%. That's higher growth, Frank. That's higher margins as a result. Stocks at 15 times, I think very reasonable.
2: All right, and also Zimmer Bionet Holdings, ticker ZBH.
8: And that's the same thing, right? Higher utilization rates for non-essential surgeries. Uh, that plays right into the hands of Zimmer, hips and knee replacements. The reconstruction market is growing at 14%. They're gaining market share. They're increasing their margins as well. Little more expensive than HCA at 18 times, but I still think pretty reasonable.
2: All right, Stephanie Ling, great to see you as always. Thank you very much. All right, that's gonna do, us, Thanks, do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Before we let you go though, I wanna take one last look at the futures right now. They were in the red earlier this morning, still seeing them there right about now. It looks like the Dow would open up about 50 points lower. We also want to look at treasuries. We saw a brief spike in treasuries yesterday after the Fed's decision. Still seeing elevated uh, yield when it comes to the two-year and the five-year. The 10-year basically, at, say, at the same level we saw it at yesterday. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Life is a
7: highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McKrispy, Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
1: of a detour.